this is Chris Westfall, and this is the Financial Executive Podcast. This summer, Financial Executives International, in partnership with Robert Half International and Protivity, launched a new series of in-depth discussions with finance leaders focusing on how they are dealing with the incredible disruption happening in society and the economy. In the series, we spoke with Terry Weinseth, Corporate Controller and Chief Accounting Officer of the 3N Company, Calvin Harris Jr., Senior Vice President of Finance and CFO of the National Urban League, Dennis Delane, the CFO of the Mayo Clinic, and Daniel Crum, CFO of the Kansas City Chiefs. In this episode of the Financial Executive Podcast, we speak with Paul McDonald, Senior Executive Director of Robert Half and Christopher Wright, Managing Director of Protivity, in order to break down and understand some of the challenges that these leaders discuss in this series. So thanks for both of you. Thanks both of you for uh, joining us today. Um, really want to have a, a, a in-depth discussion about what we learned from these sessions and what um, you know a lot of senior level financial executives are dealing with in the current environment. So I wanted to start off, uh, maybe Chris, with, with your perspective first, then Paul, you can add it, jump in. In your discussions with um, senior level financial executives, what's the level of stress that they're under and, and their finance functions are under? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. The, the, uh, the dislocation of the team from their regular office created a fair amount of initial stress, especially when you consider uh, the onset of the pandemic at or near quarter end. You know, depending on the country or the or the geographical footprint of, of organizations, they they either went into lockdown or something close to it as the quarter ended or just as they needed to report the first quarter. And so that created a lot of stress around the ability to function and the ability to communicate. It put a lot of stress on IT systems, the choice of whether you're going to use Zoom, Skype, or Teams, uh, the, the capability of employees to, to get into systems and operate uh, what typically had been something you could walk down the hall and ask a question about. Uh, and so I, I think it, it, it put a fair amount of stress on the personnel, on the talent management, uh, less so on the financial systems, which most of which had been integrated or were on the way and were, were, were well understood. But it did, it did create management issues more than financial reporting issues in the initial throes of the pandemic. Uh, Add to that that the the finance organization was not just expected to report numbers, but dealing with numbers that were changing fairly regularly and expected to reforecast on the fly uh, for the next quarter and and perhaps help with earnings guidance uh, to to deal with uh, providing data that describes the business, but also to come up with insights that would help inform and impact the business. So that's a seat at the table they've all been looking to take. Uh, over over recent years, and the ability to maintain that that uh, forward position as well as to meet uh, changing daily, rapidly, perhaps even more often, uh, needs of the users uh, did create a fair amount of stress. I, I would say that they reacted well. Um, a lot of that required quick assessments and huddles, and and perhaps some false starts. But the the stress was was compounded by the time frame around the end of a quarter. That's great. Paul, what, what are your thoughts? I would agree with everything that Chris said. Um, 
I'll, I'll roll forward a bit as I've continued dialogue through the quarter and into um, July and August. Um, it's really interesting to um, see the maneuvers that are happening on a daily basis or a weekly basis uh, to the financial executives trying to match expenses with revenue. Mm -hmm. You know, some organizations in which we're, um, I'm, I'm speaking to are actually flourishing during this time period um, in different ways. You know, it could be an online retailer um, that also had brick and mortar. That's one of our um, one of my key contacts. And while the brick and mortar business completely fell off the cliff in the the revenue that is in the um, beginning of the pandemic, it started to come back as the supply chain started to um, fuel um, the the goods and serve and services that they provide. However, the online business was just going off the charts, right. you know, triple digit growth. Um, so matching expenses with revenue. Now on the, on the other side of that equation, some of the finance executives are, you know, doing, as Chris mentioned, uh, repeated forecasts, looking at, okay, what type of headcount do I need now? What, to, to get the work done? How am I getting the work done? Do I need interim staff to come in and help me out? Do I, um, do I put that special project on hold? Is it mission critical for me to continue to invest in that technology? I've been hearing a lot of that and continued investment in technology. I might add too that prior to the pandemic, the, um, the companies that invested um, quite heavily in technology, specifically cloud computing and the ability for uh, workers to work remote really came through this and are in a much better shape. They didn't have so much um, scramble to meet the demand of the workforce in their um, home offices, if you will. So those are some of the things that I'm hearing, you know, what to do with real estate. Um, I know leases were put on hold, uh, renewals were put on hold in many instances with um, finance executives that I'm speaking to. And, um, but also, and I know we'll chat about this, but what are mission critical positions that I should continue to um, bring in? Right. Yeah, those, those are great points. And it really sets the table for our discussion. And so what I thought we'd do is listen to uh, a little bit of discussion about from uh, some of the people we spoke to. The first is uh, Terry Reinseth at uh, 3M, the corporate controller and CAO. And here she is talking a little bit about um, their approach to hiring and management of staff during these times? Uh, that's a good question. So we are still doing some um, hiring in very specific places. I think like many companies were largely on a freeze of sorts, but nonetheless, um, particularly in finance where we have key roles, we are still hiring and working closely with our HR colleagues to create what that um, remote uh, hiring and remote transition looks like um, isn't all that easy and it requires a lot of flexibility on everybody's part. So I think that's sort of new, right? Where, you know, we right. used to get all these groups of people together and cohorts and it was this big start and process. I think People will miss that a little bit, right? Because that networking and that opportunity to be face to face, but we are still moving forward. And in fact, um, we did still have a um, finance internship program this year hmm. at 3M um, in the, in many parts of our globe, uh, around hmm. the globe, but particularly in the US, I'll speak to 
you know, we talked a lot about should we move forward? What should it look like? We decided to move forward with the virtual program. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how it all kind of comes together at the end. What is the review from the intern pool and, and what is the review from, you know, those of us that ultimately, you know, review and do the hiring. But um, I think the group that's doing it is doing a great job getting them engaged and trying to do some fun things. Um, but really different, you know, than how we would yeah. ordinarily start people. Paul, Paul uh, so we just heard from Terry. How do you think or how have you seen financial executives respond during the crisis when it comes to hiring? Yeah, it's been interesting. First off, I don't think there's one company that I've spoken to, one financial executive that I've spoken to that had a playbook already in place for what they just embarked upon um, in, in March on a global basis. I, I, I can't think of one right now. Um, if you had one, more power to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that uh, in the hiring front, you know, how am I going to bring in, continue to bring in and recruit for these mission critical positions? For instance, you know, um, director of IT, cybersecurity experts, data analysts, data scientists, um, data, uh, you know, uh, fin- senior financial analysts, um, just to name a few. The unemployment rate for those positions still continues to be low by occupants uh, or by um, um, position uh, as reported by the Bureau of Labor Statistics in the United States. So I would say that, you know, they've they've had to pivot to Zoom, Microsoft Teams, whatever the um, platform is that you use. They've actually, uh, you know, in some instances have reported back to me that the remote workforce has now opened their aperture to bring people in from across the United States. And in some instances, bring um, talent into the fold that um, heretofore wasn't available to them because they did require that position to be domiciled, for instance, in their office, in their brick and mortar office. So that's a positive. Um, It's, you know, unfortunately, some people were displaced in those high demand positions and they were brought in um, and and opened up a little bit of a, uh, you know, if you will, unemployment factor that allowed individuals to hire um, and be hired. So that that's the good news on the hiring front, too. There's been a a lot of stress um, on prior to the pandemic on soft skills. Hard skills, technical skills are in demand. Yes, you need to have um, all the hard qualifications necessary. But now that in a remote workplace, the cultural fit is being measured more than I've seen in um, many instances in in-person interviewing. What I mean by that is they're asking behavioral questions um, more to the second, third, and fourth level than they did before to see how people are going to react um, in a remote workplace. Um, They have to build trust with um, individuals. And it's easier sometimes to build trust with a a new hire when you're in person interviewing two, three, four times, when you're maybe sharing a coffee with someone on an interview. Um, when it's in, in, um, in a remote workplace, uh, in a remote work environment, you know, through the camera, how are people reacting? Um, and they, they, they're trying to get to know who this individual is, you know, do they fit within the team? 
what do they bring to the team other than the hard skills? And then the last thing I'd say on the hiring front is they're measuring their connectivity, their technical um, connectivity. Um, I know there's been a lot to, um, chatting about this. I have had issues with my Wi-Fi, with my service provider, um, and they want to make sure that you have the, the hardware, um, the software, and, uh, and the setup in order to be a good, um, you know, a good worker. And this is at all levels. On the management front, on a controller, for instance, or a manager of FP&A, um, it's, it, it's, it's a talent and that's where somebody like, you know, Robert Half can come into play um, and, and helping to, to measure that. And reference checks really do help um, in an environment like this. And we've been seeing, um, you know, yes, within the legal boundaries of, of reference checks are, are important and have been we've been following that. But we've been seeing um, a little more empathy from the former employer to give good um, feedback because they're trying to help an individual get through this um, pandemic and get employed again. Right, right. Chris, what, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I have to agree with Paul that I, I'm not aware of a single organization that had a pandemic-specific playbook handy. Right, that was that was not the case. Many had business continuity playbooks handy. Uh, also, that I, I'm not aware of any finance organizations that simply proceeded as planned on hiring. Some put a full stop. Some tapped the brakes, but all of them looked at redefining their needs in, in, the, in whatever the present context was. And so while they might have been planning on hiring somebody to do accounting policy, they may have redirected the hiring spend to having to reconstitute or onshore either temporarily or permanently some sort of virtual shared service center because their overseas option failed for lack of Wi-Fi. And so the needs definition drove changes to the hiring, even if they kept hiring, they probably hired a different person or a different skill set looking for somebody who was tech forward, um, more likely to be able to collaborate online. Uh, and also, I, I, I would echo, uh, finally, what Paul said about the recruiting process. The onboarding of a person is a big part of success. If you look back, how, how they're brought in, how they're uh, made part of the culture of the company, uh, and it's just a little bit different when the opening message is not to take the person out to lunch, but it's welcome to the firm. Please open the FedEx box with your laptop. Right. right? And so having to working with HR and, and, and talent and recruiting management to make sure that the onboarding does as much of what the old in-person version used to do in terms of welcoming a person to the company and its culture in addition to its operating model. Yeah, that's interesting. And I, that sort of leads into, um, we're going to listen to now Dennis Delane, the CFO of the Mayo Clinic from our series. And this leads into what we, what some of your discussions about skills. So let's listen to that. I'm not sure this pandemic is sort of, is sort of elevated or led to the discovery of, of these talent gaps. I think they were, we, we were, they were known before, uh, but it's, but it's really apparent when you're, when you're uh, leading a finance function inside a, a science research education clinical enterprise that thrives on, on precision and scientific rigor uh, and is populated um, in part with uh, data scientists and um, the purveyors of artificial intelligence and the tools. And I will say this, so the, the direct comparison between the tools we use to say uh, estimate revenue on a monthly basis. What's the accrual for revenue that, that we haven't uh, you know, realized in cash? Um, 
the level of precision, the level of modeling, the level of predictive capabilities that we put into that exercise as compared to the, just what the, the precision and the data um, mining that we did to and continue to do on the COVID pandemic were, were there's no comparison. The, the, the data science and the data rigor around the COVID projections um, was much more significant and much more advanced and much more mature than anything we do on a month to month basis to estimate revenue say. So clearly we've, we're going to have to in the finance world really adapt and adopt some of that, some or a lot of the data science that, that is happening in the scientific and research uh, worlds and apply it to our finance, our ordinary um, month to month, week to week, day to day challenges of what, what's, what's happening with volume, what's happening with with revenue, what are sales doing, those sorts of things. Uh, and and switching our viewpoint from a historical perspective to a predictive one, and that's looking forward. So I'll, I think those are the, that's probably the key, the key um, missing skill set that that um, is, has become quite even more apparent than it was before during the pandemic. Great, so we, we just heard from uh, the CFO of the Mayo Clinic, and he uh, talked a lot about you know, the skills they're, they're really utilizing right now. So um, wanted to start off, do you think the comp- that, that the needs of companies have changed in finance and staffing as a result of the crisis? And, and what skills are most important now? Paul, I don't know what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, I would say that um, when I look at skills, I, again, I, I bifurcate them into hard skills and soft skills. And um, it's easier to gauge um, hard skills, you know, through either a, an in-person interview or a, a, an interview um, through, you know, the video. Um, in a remote workforce, I think where, where I'm finding the skills are, you know, that yeah, the hard skills are, you, you need the hard skills. That's, you know, the technical skills. But on the other hand, um, when you look at individuals, um, are they going to be able to come up to speed quickly? Are they going to be able to be trained um, through a, a, a virtual world, either one-on-one training um, or through what we're seeing as, you know, classroom, virtual classroom training um, really taking hold? Um, so th- th- those skills and then the collaborative skills um, that are necessary to work in a remote workforce, it, it, you know, that's being gauged um, I've mentioned cultural fit before, but it's really important, you know, for the finance managers in which I'm speaking to, they, they give us feedback all the time. Um, give me someone who not only has technical skills, but I'm going to be able to uh, manage remotely, you know, through, um, I'm going to be speaking with them more regularly than I would if I were down the hall from them. That was, that's an interesting point that's been coming up. Um, someone we're doing check-ins you know, every other day. If it's a mission critical project, we're doing um, project check-ins at the end of every day. We're having virtual happy hours. Um, you know, so are these people comfortable with this level of communication? Do they want to participate in a collaborative environment? Um, so I look at it as, yes, the, the hard skills are going to come to the forefront if they don't have them or they're not up to speed. It's going to come to the forefront very quickly in an environment like we are right now. The other side of the equation is they're measuring and spending more time 
at all levels, I might add. This is at the staff level, management level, and the senior executive level. Um, they're measuring and trying to measure this collaborative communication, um, individuals' um, appetite for this. And, and again, this comes back to culture. Are they a fit? Are they going to um, be able to advance in this type of an environment in which we're faced with right now? Because who who knows? You know, some companies have announced that next July is the first time they're going to be back into the office. Um, some parts of the globe right now are already back in the offices and working, you know, like, you know, they have been. But um, at least here in the United States and in um, other parts of the globe that I've chatted with, this is really key for um, these um, executives that I'm speaking to. Chris, Chris, what are your, your thoughts? I would agree with everything everything Paul just said, uh, this, the soft skills and the technical skills. I would only add that one of the technical skills that could be viewed as partially soft or partially technical is that they're, they're looking for people who are not only able to manage remotely, but because finance organizations have learned a lot about what works well and what doesn't work well while they're remote, uh, many of them are planning on fixing or automating as they come back to the office, as and when, and whenever that is. And quite frankly, finance organizations are likely to be the last in the building. You know, R&D comes back first, they need a lab, that sort of thing, but finance may come less. And so they're, they've been looking for folks who are either have skills or at least curiosity around how to use tools, uh, how to work on the cloud, how to do process mining, how to do process mapping. Uh, and in particular, uh, what is their viewpoint on the ability to automate repetitive processes particularly now that they realize they can be automated because they don't have to happen down the hall or in the next office so that they can meet that mission of not creating data to describe the business, but really coming up with insights uh, and doing data analysis to help inform and influence the business. Yeah. Great. So uh, we're going to pivot a little bit right now and we're going to hear from Calvin, Calvin Harris Jr. is the CFO of the National Urban League. And we've talked a lot about, um, uh, you know, the pandemic and the economic crisis. But Calvin had some really thoughtful uh, uh, words on diversity and uh, especially the, the events that have taken place over the past couple of months. So let's listen to Calvin right now. Calvin right now. Admittedly, I, I think it's really going to I think it's really going to depend on the organization. Um, because I, I could, I've seen some items and to that, to that person's question, I've had both of those thoughts depending on the, on the person. And I think so much of it is, and, and I don't think this is, you know, that's necessarily unique to organizations, but also, you know, heck, it even comes down to, to people, you know, our organizations putting out these statements now, even if they were extremely well, well, uh, drafted, are they consistent with who they've been in the past? Now, you know, people can change, organizations can change. In fact, you know what? Okay, we didn't catch it before, now we're paying attention. And I applaud every organization that has, that has made that shift. Um, but then I think what's gonna become important is beyond the statement, what do, you, what do we do next? You know, there is, um, without delving too deeply into a, a sensitive topic, I, I'm a Marylander. I grew up in Maryland and I grew up in the Washington, uh, Washington DC area. So there's a lot of discussion going on about the football team that I admittedly have always, have always cheered for. And so much of the discussion focuses on why is the change occurring? What's the real driver? So I think 
Similarly, where organizations are really just doing something that really feels natural and organic, they'll be received as natural and organic. Where it doesn't appear to be as natural, there may be some skepticism, but I don't think that should necessarily stop an organization because if you've taken a different approach because, hey, we didn't see it before or we didn't uh, acknowledge it before, understand it before and we see it now, I think that's fine. But what will matter is what happens after, because there are, uh, I, I can assure you, there will be lots of opportunities beyond a statement to work with organizations like the National Urban League, because we can help you go beyond just a statement to doing real action. So some really thoughtful insights uh, in that discussion. Uh, from Chris, From what, what is the best way for an organization to adapt to the renewed focus on diversity and what are some of the concrete steps that can be taken to increase diversity in the finance function in particular? Sure. Well, it, it, it's, it's an interesting question and, and there are pretty important steps that organizations, finance or not, needed to take in response to uh, the, the, the incidents and, and the outcomes uh, in the U.S. and elsewhere. Messaging was very important. It needs to be very clear um, that there is no tolerance in the organization for systemic racism or any of the, the negative effects that come from that and, and from decades or even centuries of that. That needs to be crystal clear, top down. The CFO, uh, the CEO, the, the people with the word chief in their title need to message that. And they needed to do that in the moment at the time. That was very important. But the, the organization has eyes and ears and is a living, breathing, evolving thing. And so it's, very, it's just as important that whatever messaging involved promises for action, the organization is watching. And so if there was a commitment to diversity, there needs to be an experience of a, of a change in the, the makeup and the, and, the, and the outlook of the organization. And people need to see that diversity take root. There are ways to do that, right? You can make sure that you are including diverse candidates in recruiting. Uh, without without necessarily favoring, but you but just by including more, you're going to Im improve the outcome. Uh, that may re involve recruiting through through particular organizations. We actually uh, Proactivity has a, a, a an alliance with the National Urban League itself, uh, and and has has not only made donations but but worked with their leadership uh, to make sure that we are we are focused on on the right things as we hire. Uh, focusing on historically black colleges and universities uh, when you're when you're recruiting, so that might reshape thinking who are the core schools, uh, and then and then making sure that you're looking at diversity across the spectrum. Uh, it's it's chromatic. Uh, it can be it can be um, gender diversity that you're looking to improve. It, it can be ethnic diversity that you're looking to improve. But taking stock of what you have, setting goals, and then holding the organization accountable. Again, the, the messaging in most places was great and, high, and appropriate and well-timed. What remains to be seen as the year and the years evolve is, is the follow-through, and the organization will have an eye on that. We'll want to see and hold us uh, and, and other finance leaders accountable to whatever it is we committed to do. Well, uh, what's your perspective on this? Yeah, uh, Chris really, really enumerated a lot of great actions. I, I would just add to that that... Uh, you know, we take this um, we take this extremely seriously. And when I was listening to um, uh, the you know the, the last clip, I really you know got 
got impassioned because in 1948, when our, our, our company was founded by Bob Half, Robert Half, and that is a real person for those of you that didn't know. In the um, late 50s and early 60s, he was the first one um, to stand up um, in Congress and testify against discriminatory um, recruiting practices. So we have an ethics first, um, anti-discriminatory um, uh, past that has carried forward um, for over 70 years. Um, it's been very important to us. So. Um, our current um, CEO, Keith Waddell, and our presidents um, and CEO, Joe Tarantino and Paul Jenskow, have um, signed the CEO action and uh, pledge for diversity and inclusion. And, you know, there's some, some actions that we've seen other organizations, including ours, um, key, four key components to that pledge. Um, you know, cultivating a trusting work environment is so key. Um, Implementing and um, uh, implementing an unbiased education um, for all employees, sharing best practices, but also acknowledging unsuccessful practices that may have take, taken place. Um, that, with our client companies and other companies in which we've chatted with, has been very critical in this. Being honest, to build trust, um, to show empathy um, to to everyone. To, to create an inclusion and, and diverse um, workforce. And then last but not least, creating and sharing strategic inclusion and diversity plans um, with boards of directors. So, you know, from the, from the top down, um, the tone at the top, you've heard many, um, instant, many times is so important. In this issue, I think it's something that has been the lifeblood of Robert Half and um, subsequently Pertivity uh, for many years. And uh, we'll continue that forward. And we, we tend to stand by that with our clients. Um, we have for years, I've been doing this for a long time, 36 years. And I remember day one, even in the franchise days, that franchisee telling me, this is what you cannot do if you're requested to do by your client, by someone who's um, asking you to recruit for this. And that really... Uh, went back to my big eight or, or public accounting days. That's the way I was brought up. I was brought up by the professors at university that way to be ethical, to um, not discriminate. And, you know, it carried forward in, 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 and actually has brought me closer um, in the years. And I love to see this right now, by the way. I think it's very important for our society. And I think it's, um, it's a journey, as Chris said. Um, it's not going to switch on a dime. It's something we have to move forward and continue to keep moving forward. So let's uh, let's listen now. Our final clip is from uh, Dan Crum, who is the CFO of the Kansas City Chiefs, and I think that'll be particularly interesting given what certainly the unknowns that um, the football, National Football League, and the uh, professional football, and all sports really are dealing with right now. So let's listen to that. Yes. Yeah, so when we were planning and looking at what could potentially happen this season. Um, we looked at, we went back to each department and we looked at, okay, staffing wise, okay, what does that mean for us? If we're at X percent capacity, how many staff do we really need for that? So to do this properly, um, we look at, we, we also look at our you know, t uh, ticket forecast, our, our suite forecast. And so we know what is estimated on X percent capacity what is the bucket of money that we have to spend that we have to work with? And then we look at, we know that our player salaries are fixed. We know that those costs aren't going to change. 
but the cost that we can change, expenses we can manage, uh, we look at what is it that we need to do this properly. And we also looked at, you know, from CapEx perspective as well, um, what do we what what do we have the ability to push back and defer? And um, you know, also looking at you know, our operating expenses. If we budgeted under a normal scenario, we know that that's not the case now. So what is it that we really don't need to do right now or that we could push back and defer to another period? So right. it's looking, it's being just really very prudent, looking at line by line and operationally getting with the department heads. We're in this situation and we've had a lot of planning. I mean, we, we take the... Uh, every week we have a meeting where we've got a large group that talks about stadium protocols and planning for the season under those scenarios. And so we know what we need to execute and that's what we really focus on. So, you know, listening to Dan Crum, there's certainly a lot of thinking and thought gone into what um, this disruption means. Uh, You know, have the multiple crises of, of this year uh, permanently changed the thinking of finance when it comes to capital forecasting planning? Do any of the old tools apply anymore? And, and Paul, I, I'll switch it over to you and, and get your thoughts. Well, it's uh, as we mentioned earlier, I don't think there was one person I spoke to that had written a playbook for this. Um, so it was truly executive management at its finest for some organizations that I've witnessed and how it's been addressed, um, you know, immediately and then on an ongoing basis. So, you know, when you think about expenses and you think about business, various types of um, companies, some have inventory, some don't, some have fixed contracts, some don't, some have um, heavy real estate investments um, around the globe. Um, you know, what can you do? Everything's on the table. Everything's on the table. So I, what I witnessed with finance leaders and, and, and actually at our company was we just, we broke back. We, we kind of sat back and said, okay, go back to accounting 101. What's fixed and what's variable, <laughs> right? And if it's variable, um, how can we reduce that? Uh, on the expense side of the equation. Um, how can we, uh, you know, match expenses with our current revenue stream? And, and we saw people, clients, where the revenue stream was really piping down on a, on a steep decline. So, and then on the, um, so when you think about CapEx, um, what's in motion that's mission critical and what's in motion that's not uh, mission critical? How can we r- uh, roll back um, the, the actual spend in the, in the second quarter, in the third quarter and beyond, and try and run various scenarios. Um, you know, I have to have um, some connectivity with universities and universities, you know, are we gonna open? You know, what's, what's going to be the learning environment? Um, are kids going to be on campus? Are they going to be paying room and board or aren't they? What kind of refunds do we have to give on deposits and so forth? So these are the types of scenarios that I've seen happen. Um, now, there are, as I mentioned um, previously, there's some great, great bright spots right now. You know, uh, mortgage um, companies, um, financial institutions that are in the mortgage business are seeing unprecedented demand right now with rates so low here in the U.S. Um, we're seeing some... Um, Governments 
that have had to figure, you know, municipalities, counties that are trying to meet the demand, um, you know, they receive this CARES Act, um, these CARES Act loans. And as a result, how are we going to account for that? How are we going to audit that? How are we going to push that out before the deadlines before so it can be forgiven? So these are things that we're seeing in terms of the demand side. Um, but as it relates to, you know, one thing that I haven't said um, yet today, but one thing that we have seen is that regardless of what your business, cash is king. Collections, accounts receivable, um, really a focus. How can we keep our DSO stable or actually try and reduce it during now? Uh, this time frame. Smaller clients are really um, being tested because they didn't have the deep pockets um, that maybe some of the larger um, customers of ours had. Um, so they're really focused on how can I maintain um, continuity of business? How can I match expenses with revenue? How can I collect the money that, that's owed to me? Um, and, and, and also, last but not least, really hold on to the human capital that we have, the employees that we have, and keep them engaged during this pandemic. And that's something, and you know, I know that, you know, I hear that and I think of Crum, um, you know, with Kansas City um, Chiefs, you know, they've got people that are, they've got employees, they've got players that are coming to work, or aren't they going to come to work? Are they going to play this fall or aren't they? Um, what's the TV revenue going to be? Um, what are ticket sales? Uh, what are we going to do with the um, season tickets? So it's really everything's on the table um, in terms of a possibility. And I'm seeing multiple um, multiple runs of scenarios. You know, the, the, I mean, if I if I can say one thing, the FP&A people are extremely busy. The projections, the forecasting, I haven't seen them being tested. And thank God there's new tools. Um, you know, if it was 10 years ago, um, they wouldn't have the tools they have today. So the tools are extremely beneficial to helping these individuals do some forecasting. Great. So, you know, some interesting uh, issues brought up by our speakers uh, in this part of the forward thinking series. So, but I want to take a step back and, and start and, and, and really talk to you about, uh, you know, what are, from what you're seeing, what are the top priorities of financial executives over the next 18 months? And, and what are the skills boards and other stakeholders are looking for from those financial, financial executives? Uh, Chris, do you, do you want to chime in? Sure. Well, with regard to executive priorities, we've, we've asked. So we've, we've dialogued with a lot of our clients. Uh, we, we regularly survey and benchmark. And what we've learned is, and this should be no surprise, Paul mentioned it earlier, cash is still king. And CFO priorities, uh, priority number one, and maybe perhaps one, two, and three are liquidity, liquidity, and liquidity in managing cash flow. Uh, beyond that, it's the, it's the management of, of the needs of investors and other stakeholders, the public companies and private, but obviously for public companies, there's an entire investor relations aspect and, and dealing with whatever SEC guidance has been given around financial reporting in a COVID environment. Uh, prioritizing investments. Uh, we talked about that a little bit earlier, but are, are, is the company going to invest in not only in the company, but in the finance team with a heavy focus on resilience and then even in the pandemic and perhaps because of it, the, the renewed and continued interest on being able to report not only financial information, but information on ESG and other environmental issues, responsive again to investors and other stakeholders and, and their needs. And so 
that's really where the, the focus of, of CFOs is now and where they expect us having asked that to take them through the end of 2021. What, what are your thoughts on the next 18 months? I'd say I agree with everything that Chris just said. And I think that we complement one another um, really well because Chris is, you know, um, well in the, uh, the trenches with his clients in terms of what are their needs and, and helping them navigate through all these uh, unprecedented times. And I know you hear that word unprecedented so often these days, but it's so true. Um, I'm going to focus a little bit on leadership and employees. You know, this is testing leadership like never before. Um, I've been through, as you can tell from my age, if you read my bio, I've been through a few of these ups and downs um, in the economy. Recession here, um, we've been tested. But usually it's one part of the economy, it's one part of the world, that, and it seems to balance off, you know, over a series of years. Um, this is new. This is new. And the leaders and the managers that I'm speaking with on a, on a regular basis are being tested. Um, they're being tested at home um, because they're working from home. Um, they're cramped into 900 square foot um, apartments um, working with families. Um, they're trying to balance it all. So I would focus as leaders on your employees, on their well-being, because those critical employees that you have, um, uh, our studies show that morale is waning. And as things get, as the sun starts to come out, they're telling us that they're going to start looking for another opportunity. And um, I would wrap my arms around them figuratively as best you can, check in with them, be empathetic, um, you know, show your own resilience, but also show balance in your own life, be human with them. Um, and that's hard to do in a remote environment, but, you know, we will get through this, but at the same time, you know, you're, you're hiring, you're onboarding, you're um, managing um, various projects as leaders. Um, you've got, most of you have finance, accounting, um, HR in some instances, IT in some instances reporting up to you. You're being tested right now. As a result of all that, I would ask you to also really focus on the human resource aspects and work with your teams um, to carry forward not only with the current employee base, but also to follow through on the DNI, the diversity and inclusion initiatives that you have and have maybe restarted um, during, this, um, during this period of time. There's multiple things that we need to address as leaders. And you know, between Chris's advice, the advice of the, uh, the individuals we um, actually had on the series, you know, they were all outstanding individuals. And I would say just the advice maybe on the, on the employee side, Focus on all that, and we will get through this. I, I think that's a great way to wrap it up, and certainly a forward-looking um, thoughts on on what has happened. So, I want to thank you both for discussing this today, and I want to thank Robert Haven Productivity for partnering with us on this. Uh, you, you know, it's been really thoughtful, and um, I want to thank you both. Great. It's been our pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.